Durant. Oh! A jawbreaker! Curry with a drive, blocked by Jackson. Bain, step back three. Bingo! It's the core four on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network. I am Matthew Keel, joined as always by Xavier and Dave. Today, guys, we're going to be talking about the Grizzlies post-trade deadline. Do our top four NBA title contenders ranked by the College Football Playoff Committee. And Joe Mullinex is going to join the show as well to go a little one-on-one action with Dave. But, guys, we're going to start here. Dave, kind of an uninspiring loss to Boston on Sunday. Uh, it made me think back to our take that, for the Grizzlies to win a title, so we really tough to win on the road against those East Coast teams. Do you have any big takeaways from the Sunday game? I think this season, the biggest games haven't gone our way, have they? I mean, the Christmas Day game, uh, even that Friday night Lakers game, the crazy thing with, with Shannon Sharp. And I thought this was a big game. You know, a lot of audience for that Celtics-Grizzlies game ahead of Super Bowl. So, uh, I the big takeaway was I, that game sort of exposed what I think our team's deficiencies are. Jaron got in foul trouble. We couldn't hit any threes. And I just feel like, you know, that's a playoff style game that we're going to see a lot more of here as we move into the playoff season. And it, you know, Boston without Brown and without Marcus Smart defending their home court, they're, they're a tough team. Yeah, definitely super tough. You saw the effect of that home environment as well. And Boston, I mean, a team that we've given a lot of respect to, uh, proved it. And as you said, kind of a playoff atmosphere in the Grizzlies coming up a little short. I'm going to turn to tonight now. We are recording on Wednesday uh, about 6.30 Eastern time. Xavier, we're playing the Jazz tonight, a team that's given the Grizzlies a little bit of problems. But this is a different Utah team now than they have seen earlier in the season with a couple guys going out at the trade deadline. What do you expect to see from the Grizzlies tonight against Utah? Yeah, I anticipate them coming out trying to get a win. Um, finish the finish before the All Star break strong. Um, hopefully, the new acquisition that we got of uh, Luke Kennard, he shows up tonight. They get him acclimated with some sets and run him some plays. But I'm 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 ready for them to just go ahead and start buckle down for the winding end of the season. Get some wins, strong wins, and be ready for the playoffs coming yeah. soon. Yeah, it's crazy how the season has gone so quickly. Now we're already at the all-star break, which is um, wild to think. The the season has absolutely flown by. And I'm with you. I wouldn't mind seeing Kennard chug up 20 shots, honestly. Like, let's get that dude involved. Let's run some good um, off-ball sets for him. But, uh, all right, let's jump into our first segment here. We're going to embrace a little debate. All right, embrace debate. We have seen the Grizzlies now post-trade deadline. Not very much, but... We got a small sampling against the Celtics. Dave, I'll start with you. Did the Grizzlies, in your eyes, do enough at the trade deadline acquiring Luke Kennard? I think it's a complicated question. As a fan, I get real excited for things like mock drafts and, and you know, all these uh, reports out of who they're going after OG. They're going after this guy and that guy. And you sort of want your team to make a big splash because it's fun as a fan. And when I read the Luke Kennard news, I, I certainly did not jump out of my seat. Uh, and run around the office screaming and yelling. But, and I, and I talked about this with Joe, and I think it's a good interview. I, I, I hope you guys enjoyed. I, I appreciated Joe's perspective. It's a good move. It's a good move. We didn't give up all that much. And I think he's worth the, the, the price we paid. And if he opens up the floor a little bit, Luke Kennard's a nice ball player. It's a good three-point shooter, as we know. I don't know if he did enough, but I don't know if even any of these other moves that were rumored would have been enough, maybe outside of Kevin Durant. So I feel like Memphis did enough within, like in the structure that they had in place. This is not NBA 2K, guys, right? We can't just go on the trade machine and say, oh, well, we're going to get Durant because we're going to send off Brooks and three picks and three pick swaps. I mean, there has to be other someone on the other end of the phone line, so to speak, right, that would accept those trades. So Luke Kennard's going to make an impact. I think he's a good ball player. And uh, I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about other moves that we could have made. Yeah, Xavier, when I think about did they do enough, you know, you look at the rumors that they did offer packages for guys like KD and Mikael Bridges. Considering that and what they ended up with, I'll ask the same question to you. Did the Grizzlies do enough at the trade deadline? I feel like they did. Kleiman actually tried. And that's one thing I do give respect to him. Uh, he didn't sit around, based from the news that, that has leaked. He tried his hardest to, to to pull the trigger 
and get like a big swing player because you know the West became crowded. <laughs> you got KD now in the West. You got Kyrie here in the West, and the Clippers got a lot deeper in the Lakers. They've made some moves, so he sees that okay. Now we have to really try, and this is our opportunity. But the thing is, Kleiman does great business, and he knows he understands. I'm not just going to retaliate because another team made a trade, and he understands the the if, uh, the value of a player. Like I, the Raptors were asking way too much for OG Ananobi. I'm glad he didn't make that big move because OG isn't worth all of that realistically. Um, the the not the Mikael Bridges. I understand, like he fits the Grizzly structure so well, but I'm sort of glad that. Brooklyn did not budge because that four draft picks for him. I personally, I don't feel like he's worth the four draft picks, but I think the Grizzlies did a right trade right there by gaining Luke Kennard, another shooter. He should play some big minutes for us. And hopefully, like like I said earlier, we can get him acclimated to this team pretty quickly. Well, and to that point, it's been nice to have a couple days off here, right? Having Monday and Tuesday off, hopefully a couple practice sessions so he can feel maybe more comfortable tonight against Utah. Yeah, and when, you know, we talk about it all the time, the rhythm of these guys who are three-point specialists uh, is so important, and maybe we won't really see his full comfort level until we get out of the All-Star break. Two things I want to point out. The thing that I I would assume that they ran into as kind of a stone wall was that they had to deal with Brooklyn basically for both of those players because it, mm. it didn't sound like to me that they made the move to try and get – bridges until after he was already in net and you would then assume that the original deal with Brooklyn Brooklyn said well Bain's got to be in there and and Memphis said no and then they got bridges and they tried to make another deal and they still said no we want Bain I'm guessing that that's kind of where that deal fell apart for him if I had to guess uh and that could have been the problem that they ran into and that's why they couldn't get a deal done for a big swing guy like that but Back to the original question, did they do enough? The fact that they picked up the phone and tried to make a swing for a guy like that uh, is good, in my opinion. I, I think it shows that they are committed. What they end up with in Luke Kennard and what they end up giving up in Danny Green, I think that we see that they, the front office ownership, maybe even the coaching staff and the team itself, uh, put a real focus and, and and believes that the team chemistry, I think, is super important in this team. The only guy that gave up being Danny Green, who played, what, two, three games for him, and that's it? I mean, that's a guy who really – he was here for a cup of coffee, and honestly, we saw more Danny Green giving interviews during games while he was injured than actually playing for the Grizzlies. Uh, so you don't really lose anything from a team chemistry aspect. And when I look around the league and you look at these other teams that added guys, Kyrie to Dallas – uh, KD to Phoenix, they only have 20-some games to get that team chemistry. And I wonder, once we get to playoff time, if the team chemistry aspect of it uh, will come through and that will be the difference and the deciding factor between winning and losing playoff series. Is the talent of a Kevin Durant going to be so much so that the Grizzlies can't overcome it either way, uh, even with their team chemistry? And I think that that will influence their decision whether they blow it up in the summertime, at least – to some degree and kind of go away from the team chemistry aspect of it. You know, Dave, something that you have brought up, is it a basketball team or is it a family? And I think that at this deadline, we saw that the Grizzlies still kind of view this as a family to some extent that they want to keep this, this core group together, which I find interesting. And I, and I am uh, interested, interested to see how it plays out come playoff time. Uh, Xavier, I'll go back to you here. X's and O's wise, something that you pay a lot of attention to. What can Luke Kennard do for this team and how should he be utilized uh, in the offense once he gets kind of more acclimated? Uh, so Luke Kennard, he shoots, what is he, fifth or sixth in, in uh, three-point percentage this year. I know uh, Bain is literally right behind him, and I know they're going to be battling back and forth who's going to be number one heading towards the end of the year. But what he brings to the table is uh, even more spacing for John Morant. I want him next to John Morant out there on the court because John Morant is going to gravitate so many defenders. And we, it's so many times he kick it out to the corner, the two guys out on the wings for the three point shots, and they were not making it. I feel like John Morant should be averaging double digit assists. It's just that we miss so many threes every single night, and he's not able to get the double digit assist uh, remarks. 
But yes, Luke Kennard is going to act at spacing. And I sort of want to test the waters of them going a little small. We see now with with John Morant, Tyler Jenkins like running ties and jive, ties and jive together. I want to see them him have uh, the the court with Jai, Bang, Brooks, Kennard, and Jaren, in which you have Brooks running the four. And I feel like that will open up the space in, a lot more because Brooks, he can handle his own against some of the bigger bigs. He did it with Zion this year. So I feel like a lot of the times we're so stagnant on John Morant to create the play. And when he does create the play, sometimes he likes kicking it out. And besides Bang, I don't truly have a, like a full enough confidence on anybody else outside of Bang to make those three-point shots. Kennard in the corner, he's shooting almost 50% behind the three-point line. That's literally half of the time it's going to go in. I really want him next to John Morant. From the X's and O's standpoint, I, he, he's going to fit in perfectly. I'm like you. I was I was watching the game the other day with my stepson, and I said, every time the Grizzlies make a three-pointer, it's like we're, we're surprised. Like, wow, okay. And the thing is, with no Steven Adams right now, it's a perfect time to do it, right? Like, you have this uh, time to kind of experiment a little bit. We may see it tonight against Utah. Uh, Dave, was Luke Kennard a guy – I know you said that it wasn't – it didn't blow you away, but was Luke Kennard even a guy on your radar going into the trade deadline? Like, he was not the guy I expected them to go after at all. Wasn't the guy I expected at all because I thought he was valuable for the Clippers. I, I thought he was very, very good for the Clippers. I mean, like, a, the kind of player that they need around Paul George and Kawhi Leonard and, and – that's a team that sometimes struggles shooting too. So I was kind of surprised. I did sort of like though what the Clippers did at the deadline with Eric Gordon. I thought they kind of stole Bones Highland. Who knows? Young kid has got a little juice to him off the bench. I mean, we'll see. But I, I thought that was worth a flyer for the Clippers. And the other one, uh, you know, the other player I thought was very interesting that went at the deadline was Reggie Jackson on the buyout to the Nuggets. And and I sort of like, you know, the Nuggets are going to be in big games in the playoffs. And I sort of like those guys with those irrational confidence guys. You know, Jackson's been in a lot of games, a lot of big games, and he has a lot of confidence in himself. And I could see him having a moment for the Nuggets in one of those games that he's like, wow, that's why you get a guy like him who's going to come in and put in a put some points off the bench. Although he doesn't seem like he'd have been a good fit with Memphis. Like I, I didn't, I didn't say I wanted him to come to Memphis necessarily, but I thought that was a good pickup for Denver. Yeah, I don't think Reggie Jackson necessarily fits. But Bones Highland, for the price, would have been a nice flyer for them as well. And an, another absolutely. guy. Yeah, I would have, I would have absolutely loved to have Bones Highland coming off this bench. And another guy as well, Jared Vanderbilt. I feel like Utah, the team we're playing tonight, just letting Jared Vanderbilt go, who I think has a ton of value. I know that, you know, I think the thing that I was most wanting at this trade deadline was shooting. Vanderbilt is probably the only non-shooter that I would have wanted them to trade for just because I think him and Jaron together defensively it would just be an absolute menace, would just throw um, a ton of wrenches into people's offensive schemes. Guys, let's go ahead and rank our top four title contenders. I'm very excited to see how the rankings have shook up since the trade deadline. All right, top four NBA title contenders ranked by the college football playoff committee this is our first time doing this since the trade deadline i'm very interested to see if any new teams that have gotten new players crack your guys rankings i have one in mind i'll go ahead and start us off here because i think it's very simple i think we all have the same three at the top in some order uh and that to me for my list is going to be boston denver and milwaukee uh, i've got them in that order you could convince me anyway um to order them one through three. I think that those are the three best teams. Uh, Milwaukee's been great as of late since they've got their guys healthy. The number four spot is where it gets super interesting to me. The teams I consider Philly, we're talking about title contenders. I don't trust Harden and I don't trust Doc Rivers all, all the way yet. Golden State, health concerns up in the air. And Phoenix, uh, one of those teams that acquired a new talent, but I haven't seen it yet. And we don't yeah. know when we're going to see it. We really don't know when Kevin Durant is going to see the floor. And the other thing that I'm worried about, they really, really are thin now. And that was a problem they had last year. I know the, the game seven is a bit of an outlier that they had to lose uh, last year against Dallas where they get absolutely smoked. They probably all had COVID, whatever, whatever. But their depth was a real problem, and it was a reason they struggled against New Orleans uh, in the first round last year. And I think that they're in a very similar position now that they have really just 
wholesale got rid of their bench. So that's a team that also concerns me. So my number four team that I have in here, and it's a little bit controversial, they have acquired a new player as well, and they have not won yet with their new duo. But I think Dallas is dangerous. I think that Kyrie Irving is an incredible player. He is also extremely motivated to get signed to a max contract this year. He is a guy who's done it before. And one other thing I want to point out, about a month ago we were on this show, it was just me and Dave talking about, isn't Jimmy Butler the perfect uh, Grizzly? And he's been so good ever since the, in, ever since the bubble. You can make the, the case that Jimmy Butler has been the best playoff player. Number two, in my opinion, in that span has been Luka. Luka has been an incredible playoff performer every single year that he's been in there. Goes to a Western Conference last year with a roster that I think was a little bit worse. The problem is they can't stop anybody right now. I think that Kyrie Irving is a plus defensively over Spencer Dinwiddie and Jalen Brunson. The thing I didn't factor in talking about that trade last week was that they really are going to miss Dorian Finney-Smith. And there's reports that they're working out LaMarcus Aldridge. Uh, I don't know that he necessarily anchors or fixes your defense. But the thing is, I look at Kyrie Irving and I look at Luka Doncic and I see two guys who are incredible at dictating pace. I see two guys who are incredible at creating their own shot. And they can make contested shots at an incredibly high rate, which is what you see the most of in playoff basketball. So I don't know how long it's going to hold, but right now my rankings, Boston, Denver, Milwaukee, and Dallas. Xavier, what you got? Top four. I like your list. I like your list. But, yeah, I got you with Boston and Milwaukee in my top two right now, especially Boston with the depth that they have. We talk about depth. That game last night that they played against Milwaukee, I know they lost, but, man, they didn't have Jason Taylor, no Jalen Brown, no Marcus Smart, and they put up a fight with Milwaukee. They literally had the win in their hands until, like, the last two minutes. Milwaukee, Drew Holiday had to drop 40 points, and and Giannis had to have 30 for them to come out with the victory. It's ridiculous how how big of a depth change that they have with with Derek White playing some of the – greatest basketball ever and having a six-man – I feel like the six-man of the year is locked right now with Malcolm Brogdon. It's certified how great he's been he's great. Been. So, yeah, uh, Boston is most definitely number one. Milwaukee has crept their way back up, yet, like you were saying. They're, they're healthy now. Uh, Brooke Lopez, Chris Middleton is coming off the bench, and he's dropping a decent amount of buckets. And Bobby Porter is, isn't, isn't healthy yet, and I feel like that's a, that's a big part of their bench. So I'm, I'm choosing those two right now. Now, this is where things get interesting. I'm putting Denver at number three again. Uh, Denver actually made like a sneaky move that a lot of people do not know about, but they picked up Thomas Bryant. Mm-hmm. And that's been a big problem with Denver, uh, finding a backup center for Jokic because Jokic plays so many minutes. And DeAndre Jordan, I don't know why they have him. But Thomas <laughs> Bryant, he – he held it down for Anthony Davis when he was out. He had some crazy stat line games, and I feel like that's a very sneaky pickup right there, especially when you have Nikola Jokic draining so many minutes throughout the season. Now they actually have a backup center that's capable of playing a lot – I mean, playing some heavy minutes and give, you know, giving Jokic a break. And then for my number four slot, I'm really going to stick Phoenix in there because, man, talent-wise, bro, like it's just – you look being younger and looking on the game, going on the game and look at the super team. That's a super team playing like NBA 2K. It's one of those teams like, bro, you don't choose that team. All flimits. You know yeah, it's all limits, man. It's all limits. Uh, I watched the, the, the Suns versus Kings game last night. Like, they're healthy now. The Suns are healthy. And they was playing some good ball yesterday without Kevin Durant. Chris Paul had 20 assists, basically. He had 19 assists. He looked like he's finally coming back into his groove. DeAndre Aiden has really stepped up his game. I think a lot of people have been sleeping about him. He's really has stepped up his game. I know he's gotten paid, but I, he he wants more touches, and he's playing a lot better as a as a ball dominant center center. And then just going to the playoffs, having two capable bucket getters of Devin Booker and Kevin Durant, it's just so scary now. Like. Matchup-wise, in the Western Conference, most teams have one good perimeter defender. Well, you you have to stick that one perimeter defender either on Kevin Durant or Devin Booker. That's going to lead one of them to be guarded by a lesser, weaker defender. 
And I mean, I feel like that's just like a mismatch right there. And then you got Chris Paul, he's he's capable of picking rolling the team to Delph. And it it, it it it's interesting to see if Phoenix can can come along and stay healthy and and and, and have a deep run in the playoffs. And I can't wait to see them at full strength. Dave, give us your top four. Break this tie for us. Yeah, the, the best three teams, in my opinion, have separated. It, it's Boston, Milwaukee, and Denver. Again, we can shuffle them around. I do have it in that order, though. Boston, Milwaukee, and Denver. I, I really find it interesting The Dallas got mentioned today. I would have probably said, Phoenix, if we were watching Durant, I want to see it first. And uh, there's some good games tonight, by the way. The, the Cavs are in Philly tonight. That's a good game. Uh, Dallas is in Denver. Some, some good NBA action tonight. My fourth team, though, is the Cleveland Cavaliers because they've won seven in a row. And I don't know that they're going to be there a month from now. But right now, because of some of the uncertainty, isn't the trade deadline fun, though? Because, like, now that Dallas-Denver game seems even more exciting to see how Kyrie and, and, and Luka can mesh together. They're 0 for 2, I believe, as teammates. But uh, that's, that's a super fun game tonight. And I'm just, I think Cleveland right now, steady as you go, they're the number seven, you know, seven wins in a row. And I have them fourth, but it's shaky. It's shaky right now. And if they go into Philly tonight and get beat, that, that, that could uh, be a bad sign for them. So uh, that's my top four, Boston, Milwaukee, Denver, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. All right. So we all have the same top three teams in different orders. So it's going to be uh, your guys' list of Boston, Milwaukee, and then Denver there. Uh, I had Denver in the two spot. Uh, and then the fourth spot is obviously a tie between all three of our teams with different teams in there. And I'm going to give the nod to the Cavs because they have the most historic votes from us. Uh, so this week it's going to be Boston, Milwaukee, Denver, and Cleveland setting up for a great matchup tonight against Philly. Uh, can't wait to w- watch that one. As Dave said, a lot of great matchups tonight. And also Tennessee Vol is about to tip it off against the number one team in the country as well. Can't wait to watch that. All right, let's move on and let's give out a couple of awards real quick. All right, trophy case time. Dave, let's start with you. You got any awards, got any hardware you're giving out today? I do, guys. I do. I got two trophies I want to hand out today. And the first one, I want to give out the Freddy Krueger Award. The Freddy Krueger Award to my boy Kyrie Irving. Because this guy murders teams when he leaves them, right? I mean, he murdered the, the Brooklyn Nets, the Boston Celtics, Cleveland Cavaliers. Leaves a lot of blood and destruction in his wake. But people are still buying tickets, man. Guy sells tickets. You know, the people like going to his movies. So Kyrie Irving, you, you had apparently quite a few offers on the table for Kyrie, even though his wake of destruction is pretty significant. He gets my Freddy Krueger award, and we can't stop watching. We'll see what he does tonight in Denver. Yeah, incredibly fun guy. Go ahead and give us your second award as well. Yeah, my second award. So <laughs> John Moran, man, he's he's got the national media talking about everything he says now, and you know, he's going to get my J.R. Ewing Award. Now, hold on to these guys. See, Dallas is my favorite television show of all time. I don't know if you guys knew that. My favorite TV show of all time. And its best character was J.R. Ewing. Everyone loved to hate J.R. But at the soul, at his fundamental soul, he was a family guy. It was all about the family and the family business. Really good guy. But his perception, and you know, he, he was a dastardly villain. And I think John's kind of like a good, good kid. But the media loves to hate him. Twitter loves to hate him. The other teams love to hate him now because of things he says. But, uh, you know, Dallas was the top-rated show for uh, many years in the early 80s, and its number one character was J.R. Ewing. That's you, John Moran, to get my J.R. Ewing award. All right, Xavier, your awards for this week's trophy case. It's funny because I got something similar today with the John Morant. I'm naming the Stand My Ground Award for John Morant because we played Boston. We played Boston this past Sunday, and the media asked him, like, do he regret his words are saying that he's fine in the West. And he straight up told him, he's like, no, nah, I got confidence in my team. I got confidence in me and, and and the guys around me. And, like, it's really big because it's a huge shift in the West right, right now. And, you know, his words, it, it, it's sort of like, dang, like, all because you said that now everybody's over here in the West now. But he he's not afraid, and I love that. And I, I really feel like he's the perfect leader that we need here in Memphis. And I feel like we're still capable of making a, a title run if everything start clicking together and these guys start playing great ball. But I, I just love that he's not afraid and he's standing his ground. So I give my stand my ground award to John Murray. Incredible, incredible confidence from a young dude who, in the midst of a team that's struggling right now, has, as you said, doubled down on it and said, I don't care. I still feel the same way. And I appreciate that as well. Uh, standing your ground. You got to stand by your take. 
uh, when you have it. I got two awards real quick, and then we're going to toss it over to Dave and Joe on the interview. But I will give my two awards. This is the Peaches and Herb Award for the most reunions at the trade deadline. If you remember that song, Reunited and it feels <laughs> so good. That song, that's by Peaches and Herb. I had to look that up today. Uh, but we've all heard the song. Just so many reunions at the trade deadline that, um, you know, is not something that you see all the time. But D'Angelo Russell goes back to the Lakers. Gary Payton back to Golden State. Uh, Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert reunited in Minnesota. I think that that's going to unlock Gobert a little bit. Obviously, him and Russell were not on the same page there. Um, and that can put Minnesota, you know, on the right track to getting back into the serious playoff contention. Um conversations george hill back to indiana and was met with tons of applause Jakob hurdle uh the john Morant poster kid goes back to toronto and put up a great stat line last night brunson and uh josh hart reunited a couple of college teammates who love playing together and josh hart all of a sudden a three-point king out of nowhere dimwitty goes back to brooklyn john wall back to houston we'll see how long that lasts eric gordon back to the clippers i didn't realize he was originally drafted by them um, so that that was one as well. And T.J. Warren back to Phoenix in that deal with Kevin Durant. So just the trade deadline in general receives my Peaches and Herb Award for the most reunions. And then one more award I'm going to give real quickly. Um, this is the Travis Kelsey Award for the team that nobody really counted out, but they probably feel like it. If you watch the Super Bowl and you watch the the, the uh, interviews afterwards, you heard Travis Kelsey say, everybody counted us out. Nobody believed in us. <laughs> Dude, what are you talking about? <laughs> you were the favorite all year. You had the best player in football. Nobody counted you out. We all knew that you guys were going to be in, in the contention for the Super Bowl. Uh, and I hate that stuff when people are just like, oh, everybody, nobody believed in us um, because they saw one tweet that said they weren't going to make it to the playoffs with no Tyree Kill. And – the team right now that reminds me of that a little bit is Milwaukee, a team that we've given a ton of credit to on this podcast. We just ranked them as the number two title contender in the NBA. But I can see if they win the title, uh, I could see a post-game interview where Giannis or Chris Middleton or Drew Holiday says, nobody believed in us. Nobody gave us a chance. Everybody um, you know, counted us out. And it's like, you guys have one of the top five players in basketball. Like you, you we all believed that you were going to be good. Um, it was just that Boston and Denver were awesome all year long and they had some struggles. And now Milwaukee, the winners of 10 straight games, they're firmly back in title contention, uh, even contention for the East. So uh, they, they get my Travis Kelsey award for um, feeling like they're counted out, even though they're definitely not. We all know Milwaukee's good. So that's going to do it for our trophy case segment. And now here's Joe Molinex. Okay, so next up on the core for something a little different. Let's bring on Joe Molinex. Uh, Joe once ran Grizzly Bear Blues and is now a co-host on Locked on Grizz, as well as an NBA writer. And he's all over social media. I don't always agree, <laughs> oh, I don't always agree with you, Joe, uh, but I love your passion for the Memphis Grizzlies. And it is a pleasure to have you on the show. Welcome to the core four. That'll eventually be whenever I'm done with podcasting and blogging and all that stuff. That'll be on my tombstone. I didn't always agree with you, but I appreciated <laughs> your passion. And that's a pretty accurate depiction of my 10 years covering and following this team. So you, you, got, you got it all in one introduction. I appreciate that. Well, I will tell you this. Anyone who does anything for that amount of time, I have a great amount of respect for. It means you're not only passionate, but you're dedicated to doing this. And I really do value that. And, uh, before we get into kind of the topics for, for the, the, the interview here, how did you get involved in this where it has really become a passion for you? Well, I moved to Memphis, Tennessee in the spring of 2011. And at that time, you know, it was the, the first playoff series of the core four era. It was Super Zebo, the eight seed knocking off the one seed. It was the flooding that was happening there in Memphis, Tennessee at the time. And it was just kind of that perfect combination of, organic opportunity you know all heart grit grind kind of came out of that tony allen run when he mm -hmm. essentially uh started replacing players like rudy gay or oj mayo in the starting lineup and you know the rest is history i'm a big sports guy in my day job i'm a high school teacher and i'm a football coach so basketball was my first love and i've always loved basketball i was a washington wizards fan at first back when they were the bullets 
And, you know, <laughs> you know, that's that, where that, I live that, in Washington. I live right, in the Washington yes, area. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do. I used to. So anyway, um, I was a big fan of them. And then I kind of fell out of love with the Wizards and I fell back in love with the Grizzlies. And, you know, I, I'm very opinionated, as you've pointed out. And I like to uh, voice those opinions. And I would do it to my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. And she would say, why don't you just start a blog or something? Like, go go do something where I don't have to hear this all the time. And that's exactly, well, I didn't start one. I kind of took one over. And, yeah. you know, over the span of several years, I started as a commenter and then as a writer. And I was a podcaster. The, the podcast that Parker hosts now, GBB Live, uh, started in 2014 with me running it. And I, I was the site manager uh, for, goodness, five years. There at GBB just ended this past May um, and, and Parker took over and he's done a fan, fantastic job. Very happy with how he's done it. And, you know, I, I, I didn't quit GBB cause I didn't love GBB. You know, I put a lot of myself into that site. I quit it because I knew I'd live in the Richmond, Virginia area now. And I knew that I was not going to be able to take it to the next level because I was not in the market. I couldn't cover the games. I couldn't do those things. Parker is there and Parker, you know, was kind of my apprentice for a couple of years and he, he's taken it and run with it. He's done exactly what I hoped he would do. So, um, you know, I, I had a long journey to this point, but it, it's, it's opened my eyes to a skill and a, and a talent that I didn't really even knew I had, and, you know, I've had a well, lot of opportunities. Our stories are a little similar in that I live in Washington, DC and my co-host for the core for Matt and Xavier, they're down in the Memphis area. So mm-hmm. I really, I'm grateful. To, to record with someone who, you know, a pair of guys who live down there and can really give me even more so what the feel is right. around the team and, you know, really, really, I think helps the show. But I your perspective you is also a valuable one. To... Start, sorry to interrupt you. Your value, your passion and your view is also valuable. And this is how I viewed it on my end, because we're not in that Memphis bubble. Mm-hmm. Right. So we can view it outside of that Memphis, you know, area, Memphis centric idea. Yeah and have a different perspective. And that's one of the reasons people like to be mad at me a lot is I don't <laughs> always have that Memphis centric perspective. I haven't lived there since 2014. So, um, you know, but I, I, I'm passionate about the city and the team and that's why I still do this and follow the team pretty closely as close but as see, you I can think, from afar. I think what's so interesting though, is people get into something like this and then it's not for, you got in at a period of time where the technology has changed. You start yes. to blogs. Now you're, run, you're running a website and you've got people commenting all the time on Twitter. And, and sometimes that's not for everybody, Joe, right? Like it, it, it can take away some of the fun and enjoyment when you get some of these negative comments. Can you talk a little bit about how you, you just kind of keep your nose down, cover the team and, and deal with that the best way you can? It bothered me for a while. I'm, it's mm-hmm. not going to be some some inspirational story where I say I just, you know, tuned out the haters or whatever, you know, there's times even now where every once in a while, somebody will say something. The most recent time being uh, the Golden State playoff series last year when I, you know, the Warriors fans that are just so terrible sometimes on social media, uh, one of them like made an inappropriate comment about my son and those sorts of things. Cause I think my, my avatar picture at the time, my profile picture was of me and my son. And um, you know, it, it just, it, it could be a lot, you know, especially when you don't actually know these people, right? Like, mm-hmm. that's the weirdest thing to me. Like, you're making a personal argument out of something and you've never met me, right? Like, there's people that I'll get into a heated argument with that at least I, you know, hung out with in Memphis. Anthony Sane is a great example of that. You know, Sane and I would hang out back in 2012 at watch parties. Like, I've known Sane for over a decade now. So that's different. Whereas if it's somebody that I don't know at all, you know, you you are going to talk bad about me or my family about a basketball player or about a, a basketball team. None of these folks even know you exist like that. That's the thing that that I struggle with at times. But, you know, now you know, it, it's a lot of what you said. It, you're putting your nose down, your head down um, for every one negative commenter or negative thing. There's 10 people that are always so kind and supportive. So you try, it's the old teacher adage, right? Don't let one bad apple ruin the whole bunch. A uh, similar concept here. Yeah, and uh, I, I, so I wanted to have you on the show because I love following you on Twitter. Sometimes I, I agree with you and sometimes I disagree with you, but I thought it'd be fun to talk to you about, you know, right. what, what your takes are because then we get to know each other a little bit and I can see sort of where you're coming from. And I wanted to start 
Joe, with this Grizzlies game this past Sunday in Boston, it's a game Mm -hmm. I thought that highlighted this team's deficiencies, again, when playing elite competition. What were some of your takeaways from the Celtics game? I agree with you completely. I just, after following you on Twitter for a little bit and our interactions, I think you'll, our ends will differ. Um, or our ends are the same, but maybe our means will differ. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that you're exactly right. They definitely struggled. I think that you saw what an NBA Finals contender is in the Boston Celtics, and you saw what the Grizzlies are not. And that's probably not an NBA Finals contender this season, especially with the Phoenix Suns now having Kevin Durant. The Denver Nuggets got better, not quite as high profile of acquisitions, but they added depth in their front court. They added in the buyout market, a good point guard in Reggie Jackson. Yeah. Um, he, he doesn't need to be what he was for the Clippers on the, on the, on the Denver Nuggets. He doesn't have to do that. So I think that with those two teams in the West, obviously barring injury, the Grizzlies probably don't make it to the Western Conference Finals because they're going to have to get through one of those two teams in order to get there. I'm not convinced they can't. Uh, but again, for me, that doesn't bother me as much, which maybe we can talk more about here in a little bit. Uh, but against the Celtics, you know, Boston is the team to beat, in my opinion. Milwaukee obviously is there as well. But you saw in the Celtics a team that had three rotation players out. Jalen yeah. Brown, uh, Malcolm Brogdon, Marcus Smart. They had dudes come in and just fill roles. Sam Hauser hitting six threes. You had guys step up and, and do what they needed to do to help that team win that basketball game. The Grizzlies don't have that right now. Right. Like they lost by 10 to the Boston Celtics. And it was that close in large part because Ja, Jaron and Bain, even in 20 minutes of play for Jaron, he had a decent game like foul trouble wise. That obviously is a problem. But if you look at his counting stats shot, well, he defended well, he did things that you would hope that he would do. Ja had another strong outing. Bain performed well. So even with those three guys playing good to great, you still were down by 10 with three of Boston's key rotation players out, including their second best player in Brown. So I think that you saw what Boston has, and I think you saw what the Grizzlies do not have, and and that's realistic title aspirations. Yeah, there's so much pressure. We talk about this on the core four all the time, that, that Morant and Bain have to be special almost every night. Sure. And, and, and Jaron on the defensive end. And the one thing also that I think is very interesting about when we're talking about winning an NBA championship, look at the teams in the Eastern Conference near the top, the Boston Celtics and the Sixers, two extremely difficult places to play, too. Because we mm-hmm. would talk a little bit, Joe, about not only getting number one seed in the West, which right now it looks like that's certainly slipping away, uh, but then also getting the number one seed at the time when we brought it up on the show in the whole NBA and getting that home court advantage in the finals. Because Boy, Boston is a tough, tough city to play in. Philadelphia, that East Coast passion is is really, really intense. And that worries me for a young team. Even if you go to the Western Conference, Denver's a very difficult place to play. I think Golden State's a difficult place to play for the, for the, for the Grizzlies. Talk a little bit about the importance of getting as many rounds as possible in the postseason home court advantage. It's extremely important. I think as part of the parity argument in the Western Conference, the more games you have at home, the better. Say the Grizzlies are the two seed and they have to play against a team like the Dallas Mavericks or the Los Angeles Clippers or somebody along those lines that wins that first play in game. You know, they're going to be a good basketball team. That seven seed is not going to be a slouch. Uh, That's just not how the West is, is drawn up this season. They're going to be good. So how are you going to respond in that situation? You need, like you said, home court advantage. You'd like that game seven to be there in Memphis. And if you're the two seed, then naturally when you play a three seed, theoretically speaking, let's say the Phoenix Suns make it up to the three seed. They don't quite catch Memphis. So I think it's unrealistic to expect the Grizzlies to be that, what, three and seven in their last 10 or something like that. Memphis isn't going to be that. They'll get back to five and five, six and four over 10 games. That's a realistic expectation for them. Mm -hmm. So you're probably not going to catch Memphis for the two. Uh, It's possible, but unlikely. But that would put you as the two seed hosting a three seed Phoenix Suns. You want as many games at home as possible. You want that game one at home to try to build up confidence, find a way to win that game. It's extremely important. And I do think that the Grizzlies understand that. They understood it last year when they made a strong push at the end of the season to make sure they had that two seed. I think they'll continue to do so this coming season. And, you know, the good news is the Sacramento Kings are still there and everybody's kind of expecting them to regress at some point. They haven't yet. Memphis is closer to the three seed now than they are to the one. 
But again, the Grizzlies have played pretty poor basketball over the yeah. last month almost. That's unlikely to continue. We have a large enough sample size. Maybe Memphis isn't the one seed in the West. Maybe that's not what they are. I also don't think they're a three and seven, you know, 30% win percentage basketball team. They're going to progress to the mean, just like they regress to it a little bit coming out of the 11 game win streak. Ironic, though, you mentioned that the, the Sacramento Kings, they have kind of a weird home court advantage because those people are crazy hungry for a winner in Sacramento. They love the Kings. Mm-hmm. What would be kind of a fun series, right? That would be a fun series to watch, I think, for sure. Uh, but the, the, the thing that I, I worry about, and one of the things I, I think we and I go back and forth on is this concept of the championship window. When mm-hmm. is the championship window for the Memphis Grizzlies? And, and like, if you go back two years, the Utah Jazz were the number one seed in the West. And, and they really slid now. And it looks like it could be several years now of mediocrity. My concern, Joe, is, yes, we're the third youngest team in the league now that Danny Green's been, been uh, you know, traded. And I understand the youth. But when John Morant is now on your roster, the timeline changes a bit. I heard uh, someone talk, I think it was Bill Simmons talking about the Dallas Mavericks. When you have Luka Doncic, now your timeline is different. And, and I don't view the window the same way. John seems like he's ready to win now as a, as a basketball player. I think just kicking the can down, say, well, our window is two, three, four years down the road. I, I, that worries me also with the fact that John's pretty high profile now and saying some of these things that keep getting thrown back, finding the West, all this stuff. Maybe he's not real happy a year or two from now if he feels like the organization hasn't done enough around him because he's getting a lot of publicity now. You wonder if that could turn and flip on him and say, well, he's not doing enough. Sometimes the rise to the top is a lot more fun than, than you know, the glare you get when you get there. Is, is that at least fair? Yeah, I think that you're, the part that I agree with the most is the most fun part of being a fan of a team is when they are on that rise right? When they're close to the top, right? They don't quite, no one quite expects them to go beyond it yet, but they're fun. They're footloose, fancy free. They don't have the weight of those expectations that Memphis is close to having, right? I, again, you and I disagree, I think a bit on, in terms of when that window comes, I do think it's opened a little bit more now coming out of the Luke Kennard trade. And that might sound counterintuitive because Luke Kennard is their eighth best player, right? Like he's their eighth guy. He's going to play 18 to 20 minutes. That's going to be his role. He's going to shoot threes. But for the first time since the Justice Winslow trade, which was not designed to do this, for the first time in the Zach Kleiman GM era, they have actively made a decision that hurt them in the long term to improve now. Now, how much did it hurt them? Not very much. Three second round picks. Danny Green is not. The, the picks matter more than Green. Yeah, I agree with Long term viability. But again, there are three second round picks. They have a plethora of them. They weren't going to use them all anyway. Instead of holding on to them and trying to trade up in a draft pick in June or to get a better draft pick in June, they use them now to bring in a guy that's going to help them win now. So between that and Kleiman coming out and saying they made big swings for guys and you hear reports from various sources how accurate they are, that's up for debate. But to offer every single one of your first round picks that you have for Kevin Durant, like if, if Brooklyn says no, or if KD in this particular case says no, because he wants to go to, to Phoenix, tip your cap. I can't ask any more of them than that. If they're not willing to include Morant, obviously, but even Jaron and Bay, those are three guys that they have contract control over. They're going to be here. As long as you have those three dudes, you're one of the top 10 teams in the NBA. Like that's, they are there. That is reality now. How you fit it around those guys is where that ascension occurs. If Kevin Durant didn't want to come to Memphis, that's not Zach Kleiman's fault. If the Brooklyn Nets didn't want to take four first-round picks for Mikel Bridges, or if Masai Yujiri in Toronto didn't want three firsts for OG Ananobi, he needed a, a young player too, Kleiman was right to say no to all of those. That's pie in the sky. You're out of your mind. I'm not giving you three first-round picks and Zaire Williams yeah. for for OG Ananobi. I'm not going to do that. I he gave his best effort if you are to take him at his word, which he's earned that credit with me at least. So they, they made an effort. They did get better and they did not sacrifice the Mikel Bridges trade is still there in June during the draft. If the Grizzlies want it, they can offer those four first again and say, Hey, Brooklyn, are you interested now? You don't know where you're going to be four months from now. And that kind of goes into your point, 
but they maintain future viability in terms of still being able to do a trade like that while still being better now. Luke Kennard is going to make the Memphis Grizzlies better now. You saw it in the third quarter against the Boston Celtics on Sunday. I wrote about it over at my Substack that I do, written in the dark. Kennard in the corner, that guy can't help out anymore. When it's John Concha or Zaire Williams, they can collapse on jaw when he drives to the basket. If they do that, there's a dude that shoots 52% on the corner three parked out there now when he plays next to jaw, and he's going to make that shot over half the time or even close to half the time because over the last 3,800 minutes that he's played, he's shooting 45% from beyond the arc. The two best three-point shooters by percentage in the NBA the last couple of seasons are Desmond Bain and and, uh, Luke Kennard, and they both play for the Memphis Grizzlies now. So I think that you have an improved team coming out of the trade deadline it may not be as much as what Grizzlies fans wanted, but you can't trade with yourself. They have to say yes. And if those offers are true and the other teams or KD, in the particular case of Durant, said no, you can't fault the Memphis Grizzlies for that. Yeah, you can't, it's not the trade machine, right? Or it's not, right, it's not yeah. NBA 2K. You right? can't hit the override button in the video game. Yeah, right. no. I mean, that's it, not it, an option it, here. I'm a little nervous here, Joe, because I'm actually agreeing with you. I think I'm a little too much today. Oh, just- it's always <laughs> dangerous. Yeah, but 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 you make a very good point, and and I didn't jump out on my chair when I read the Luke Kennard uh, news come across the wire. But but I I like the move, and I completely agree in that they didn't, in my opinion, only give up too too much to get him uh, for someone who could potentially really help this year, and hopefully in a few seasons to come. I heard something though that the Grizzlies were trying to include Dylan Brooks in a couple of these potential deals and maybe the other teams didn't really want him. I wanted to talk a little bit about Dylan. I think he's a very complicated figure. Uh, I, you know, I differ a little bit thing with you on like his importance to the culture of the team. I, I, I agree. I think culture is extremely important when you're at the bottom of the barrel and you're really trying to build something. He bothers me now because I don't like his inconsistency on the offensive end. I respect his effort, but I think in these playoff games, and again, I've come back to the intensity in the East, if we will get to play a Boston or in the Western conference finals against Denver, you need mature athletes that can handle that kind. Of, uh, and I, I don't like sometimes he's hot and cold emotionally. It worries me. And so uh, give me your thoughts on Dylan. I love Dylan Brooks. I would resign him to a four year, $80 million contract. Not everybody agrees with that, and that's okay. I think that it's quite possible that he just walks in free agency. I think that is a possibility. I also think it's possible they do a sign-and-trade because that will mm-hmm. open up the market a little bit wider, and you can send Dylan Brooks somewhere for an asset or two, and it allows Dylan to kind of choose where he wants to be. I think that's possible as well. I believe in Dylan Brooks because I was watching the team in the 2017-2018 season when he was a rookie and he was asked to be the best player on a really bad basketball team. Mm -hmm. And they threw him out there as the 46th, I think, pick in that draft and said, okay, go defend Kevin Durant. Go defend LeBron James. You know, he was asked to be so much so early. And as the one Grizzlies player left from that era, I think that matters. I, I do. And I think that his defense is extremely important. Jason Tatum didn't shoot three for 16 by accident that's not an accident and, and you can write that off in whatever way you want it, it has to do with dylan brooks he he is a weapon not just of physical warfare on the basketball court but of mental warfare he is i know you're a wrestling guy like me yeah. he's roddy piper he gets under your skin he gets in your head he makes you question what you're trying to do he makes you wonder why you're even there in the first place why he is the way he is. He is very good at what he does. Does that mean that he is worth four years, $80 million? The Grizzlies will figure that out. A common misconception is that if they wanted to keep him, they would have already resigned him. That's not necessarily true. The contract that Dylan signed, the max they could have offered him is like four years, $61 million. Mm-hmm. He's going to make more than that just in free agency. Regardless, right, right. I know that's going to blow people's minds that don't like Dylan. He's going to make more money than that wherever he goes. He's that caliber of a defender. That's that's the starting point. So it's probably going to cost something like 70 or $80 million to keep him around. I believe that he is vital defensively. 
I believe that he makes a ton of sense in terms of winning basketball games. You need a guy like that on the floor. You're right about his offensive inefficiencies. I'm not saying that I love his shot selection, but I think it's similar with John Morant. We're a lot more accepting, accepting of it because he's a superstar, right? He is a phenomenal athlete, but what makes jaw great is the fact that he's going to stand in front of you as a reporter and say, yeah, I'm fine in the West. Oh, do you want to clarify that job? No, I, I said what I said. Boston. <laughs> I, I fear Boston. I'm okay in the West. That's part of what makes John Morant great. Do I wish he hadn't said that? Of course I wish he hadn't said that. Of course. But that's what makes him, at the age of 23, one of the 10 best players in the NBA. And that's un, undisputed now. Sure. He's one of the 10 best players in the National Basketball Association. Part of it is the mentality. And part of what makes Dylan Brooks dominant defensively at times the ability to stop or slow MVP candidates. He did it to Zion Williamson early in the season. He's done it to Carl Anthony Towns in the playoffs. He has done it to all sorts of different guys up and down the list. It is because of that mentality and the physicality that he brings. I value that still. I get the frustration with him. It wouldn't surprise me if he's gone in the summer, but I would make that offer because I think that he matters to what this team is. Maybe four years is too long. Maybe you do three years, two years with a team option. There's lots of different ways you can structure it. I think it is worth offering him beyond what the max extension could have been in this past summer. Yeah, I'm not saying max out Dylan Brooks. It could have been four years, 61 million. He's going to make more than that. The most I would do is four years, 80. And I wouldn't be uncomfortable with it. Yeah, so so let's say, you know, we're in the Western Finals, close game, game seven. You know, does he come out of the timeout as one of your five guys at the end of the game? Depends on the possessions. That's one of the nice things about Luke Kennard, right? The, yeah. When I saw the Good trade, I, I did get excited, to be honest with you, for two reasons. One, what we talked about earlier in the show, I won't rehash it. I know I'm long-winded. Uh, just the fact that they actually did something, right? Mm-hmm. They actually did something to improve. That's a positive. They didn't give up any of their core guys. No disrespect to Danny Green. He's not a core guy. And three second-round picks that they were probably going to make anyway to upgrade their reserves. That's 100% what happened. Second reason I was excited is, let's go back to your example, game seven, 10 seconds left. It's an offensive possession. The Grizzlies have the ball. Dylan Brooks isn't going to be on the floor. Yeah, It's going to be John Morant, Luke Kennard, Desmond Bain, Brandon Clark, and Jaron Jackson Jr. Or Santi Aldama and Jaron Jackson Jr. Those are going to be the five. And now you've got four three-point shooters there with Jer- with John Morant, and you've got a decent shot at getting this thing done. Yeah. On the flip side, if it's 10 seconds left, Memphis is up by one, who else do you want defending Kevin Durant or Jamal Murray? You want Dylan Brooks on that dude. So Kennard will be out, and Dylan Brooks will be out there. So I see it as an offensive-defensive substitution possibility in those kinds of situations. And I think that that that's a realistic possibility. And again, Kennard makes roughly 15 million a year. If you go back to my example, four years, 80 million, maybe it's a little bit more than that, but they're comparable salaried players moving forward. And if you keep Kennard, which it makes sense for them too, now you've got two guys in addition to Bain and Morant and Jackson Jr. If you can't acquire Mikel Bridges, plan B could be a defender that is in the same ballpark as Mikel Bridges and a scoring option, at least from three, that is in the same ballpark as Mikel Bridges. You replicate in the aggregate if you're not able to get that guy, you know, just in terms of a trade. I think your example, four years, 80 million, I'm actually sort of okay with that too, because we have kind of a younger roster too. A lot of rookies in the, in the class here, Zaire Williams, only a second year player. They're not really making all that much money. So I think you can digest that, that contract from Brooks. But I am a little concerned when I look at this rookie class, Joe. I don't see a whole lot of special in the five, you know, including Kenny Lofton wasn't drafted. But I, I don't see a whole lot of special in these kids. They do okay when they get on the Memphis hustle, but they should, right? I mean, that, that, that's one thing. I, I'm a little concerned with this year's rookie class. And in addition to that, I don't see a lot in Zaire's second season. I know he had the injury, but he still looks a little lost out there. He hasn't made any, I feel, gains since his rookie year. So help me understand a little bit about how these pieces sort of fit into the rest of that core group that you mentioned earlier. We're at the point with this Grizzlies team where in the first, excuse me, we're in the first couple of drafts. They needed as many good basketball players as they could get. 
Brandon Clark, for example, falls in the draft. I had Brandon Clark fourth on my board in that draft. It was Zion, Ja, RJ Barrett, and I had Clark fourth. Wow. So we were doing it. We were doing a draft party in Memphis that night in 2019. You could ask Parker about it sometime because Parker was there. And I I lost my mind because to get him at that point, I thought was extremely valuable. Uh, you know, Brandon Clark had one of the most efficient seasons in the history of college basketball. He just played mm-hmm. at the same time as Zion Williamson. Um, but again, those are guys that were deemed flawed in terms of NBA ceiling because of their physical limitations and are really good at basketball. So they got those guys. John Conchar is a good example of that. You know, for all the razzing I do on John Conchar, he is a fantastic 12th or 13th man. You deal with a bunch of injuries. John Conchar can play for you 14 minutes a night for a couple yeah. weeks and you not miss a step. And that's valuable. I'm, I'm glad Conchar's here. I don't want to overextend him, right? I think the Grizzlies have overextended this group. And another reason to be excited about the Canard trade is I think they acknowledge that they made a mistake. I think they acknowledged that they didn't have to trade Melton. They thought that they could because they thought Zaire would be better than he's been. Yeah. That doesn't mean that Zaire was a bad first-round pick. That doesn't mean that he's not going to be good. Everybody develops at different rates. But Zaire, at 21 years old, has a lot of growing to do in his game. He also is asked to do things as a corner three-point shooter that at no point in high school, in college, was he ever asked to do. Taylor Jenkins and his staff have him doing things that don't align with his best skill set right now, which is the mid-range. He is very strong in that area. His numbers as a young player compared to DeMar DeRozan in terms of mid-range shooting. I'm not saying he's going to beat DeMar DeRozan. I'm saying that if you wanted to see the best version of Zaire Williams, he wouldn't be camped out in the corner. He'd be playing at the elbow. He'd be playing at the free throw line. That would be his face. That's not what they're having him do. So Zaire has to develop. And I think he, they're smart to have him in the G League. Jake LaRavia has to develop. David Roddy is playing well. But again, he was a first-round, late first-round pick rookie. If you are a top five or ten team in the NBA, that guy's not playing very much. So they had their core of guys, their top yeah. nine or ten dudes. And again, Zaire, I think they, they overextended. And then when Zaire's overextended for a variety of reasons, that means now you have to depend on David Roddy, who's not quite ready to be that on a championship contending team or a championship aspiration team. John Conchar is not ready to be that. So, again, the Melton trade, obviously they wanted to make that a trade to get the extra first-round pick. But I think that the, the Canard deal is them acknowledging that Zaire was not ready for the role that they asked of him. Maybe he'll be ready next year. Maybe he'll be ready two months from now. You know, Zaire came back – in his rookie season, in the second half of the rookie season, looked really good. Yeah, he played so well. Maybe he can bounce back in a similar manner this way. But the good news is they have Tyus Jones, Brandon Clark, Luke Kennard, and Santi Aldama. If Zaire doesn't bounce back this season, that's okay. Because they've got a nine-man rotation for the playoffs now. Before the Kennard trade, not, Zaire was still your ninth dude. And I, I, I like Zaire. For this playoff run, I wouldn't have been comfortable with that. Clearly, the Grizzlies aren't either, and that's why Kennard is on the uh, roster. That, that's a great point. Maybe we're a little spoiled, too, right, because the Desmond Bain pick worked out so spoiled. well. The Brandon Clark pick worked out real well. And, and so, again, they said explicitly, we are with Zaire, be patient. He's yeah. a project. They said that numerous times. He's not a stretch four. That's not him. He is a legitimate 6'9 perimeter player. There are not very many of those. Right. There's not very many that exist. So you can't teach size, not, right? Cannot teach size. He's not ready right now. I think they've admitted that they brought in a Luke Kennard who can fill that void a little bit. Again, 18 to 20 minutes. They don't need him to be a starter. They don't need him to be a Dylan Brooks level defender. They need him to come in, make some threes, create off the dribble a little bit and not be a traffic cone defensively. Zaire is not ready to be that for them. They can kick the can down the road a little bit and continue to develop it. He's the nicest kid, too. My wife and I met him at the Summer League this past year, and he, he just mm-hmm. seems like a great, great kid. So sure. I really root for him. One last topic here I wanted to ask you about, Joe, here, before we let you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of talk about Coach Jenkins for Coach of the Year, and, 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 he, and everyone in Memphis seems to love him. The players seem to really, really like him. There are times I feel like, he makes you scratch your head a little bit. I didn't think the Celtics game this past Sunday was his best coaching. I thought John Morant was on the bench for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. I think one of 
once Jaron gets his early foul trouble, he pulls Jaron out a lot. You got to let Jaron learn how to play through some of that. Uh, where do you stand on Coach Jenkins? Because unfortunately, not many NBA coaches are with their teams. You know, Greg Popovich is an obvious exception. Mm-hmm. And Spolster in Miami. But does he have a long future in Memphis, do you believe? I think so. I, I think the Grizzlies are definitely playing the long game, and Jenkins is a piece of that. You know, there is the the possibility of being the guy before the guy, if that makes sense, which, you know, that happens sometimes in all sports, all levels. Well, Mark of Jackson's the best example, right? Correct. It, yeah. you're, you're there for the formative years, and then someone else comes in, and it goes to another level. That's possible. Um, but I think with Coach Jenkins, we got to remember he's still young too, right? He's one of the younger head coaches in the NBA. Um, they're still at a place where they're trying to monitor minutes of guys. They don't want to override and overwhelm these guys before the playoffs. Memphis is, spoiler alert, probably going to make the playoffs. So they know that there's going to be additional minutes and additional wear and tear on their legs. And they don't, you know, I understand that argument. I'm with you on the Jaron Jackson foul trouble stuff. At this point, my question to Coach Jenkins would be, Insanity is, by definition, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Just leave yeah. him out there. Just let him foul out. And oh, no, instead of you fouling him out by benching him, he fouls himself out. And now you have to react and he can see what happens when he fouls out in the third quarter. And now Santi Aldama has to play center and teams are doing a layup line against the guy because Aldama is not a very good uh, defender at, at any position right now. Mm-hmm. He's pretty solid offensively, but defensively, it's not the, it's not the best. So. I, I think that there's areas for critique, but you could say that with any coach, right? Yeah. You could say that with literally anybody, even Popovich, you can criticize in areas. I think he's, he and his staff have done a remarkable job developing these players. You know, Desmond Bain fell to 30 for a reason, right? Brandon, Brandon Clark fell from where he was in theory, a lottery pick into the twenties for a reason. John Conchar wasn't drafted for a reason. These players have been developed in the system and the scheme the scheme has some holes. Like think about who Jenkins' most direct mentor was in coaching, Mike Budenholzer. What was one of the major knocks on Mike Budenholzer's defense up until he made some changes before the Bucks championship run? They gave up too many threes. It, it's, it's a similar concept. I think that we're just going through those growing pains with Jenkins the same way that you go through growing pains with players. I, I believe that Jenkins has earned the respect and trust of these players Going back to the stuff with George Floyd and his murder in 2020 and the bubble during COVID, you know, he has gone above and beyond to relate to these guys, to develop relationships with them. And that matters a lot when you're working with a young team. And the absence of true veteran presence and leadership, That's a great point. you need yep. strong coaching. And yeah. I think Jenkins has established that relationship with a lot of these guys, especially Morant. You see it with him and John, their conversations on the floor. Morant respects him and values him. And to your point earlier about championship windows and pissing off Morant, I think you would do a, a lot to damage that if after all the success they've had these last couple of seasons to say, okay, now coach Jenkins, your services are no longer required. Let's yeah. wait until they go and get a Mikel Bridges. If that happens, let's wait until an OG and an OB trade occurs. And there is a legitimate championship expectation because again, Kennard makes them better. But who here, if the Suns are healthy and the Grizzlies are healthy in a seven-game series, are you picking the Grizzlies? No, you're not picking the Grizzlies, okay? Spoil- Again, spoiler alert, neither of us would pick the Memphis Grizzlies in that series. And that's okay because they haven't done enough like the Suns did. The Suns gave up a hell of a lot in that trade, right? Yeah. A hell of a lot. Memphis hasn't done that yet. So until they're in that position, and again, I think it's okay to hold them accountable. You want to see them get better. They made it to the second round last season. The Western Conference Finals is a realistic expectation, and it's normal to be disappointed if that doesn't occur. But if they make the second round of the playoffs, they're one of the best eight teams in the NBA, and they're one of the youngest teams in the NBA. They just traded away Danny Green, and their average age went down a hell of a lot. Yeah, they like got the younger, youngest, yeah. They're the third. Yeah, they got younger. They're the third youngest team in the league now, and they're the number two seed in the Western Conference. Have I can't argue with you about Coach Jenkins in the development. I, I am sometimes concerned in-game coaching, which I think is a little sure. different than player development. And I will say my – I've never in my life been more surprised in Santi Aldama. I saw him in the summer league. I thought He's he wouldn't have tight example. shoes. And I, I thought he had no business being on an NBA basketball court ever. 
And I was completely wrong. I think the coaching staff has done a great job. I give Sanity an awful lot of credit as well. Uh, and I love he plays with a little nastiness to him. Um, so I, I, I cannot argue the point about the player development. I, I do get a little concerned sometimes about the in-game stuff. Maybe that's just experience, too. You mentioned that Coach Jenkins himself is young, and, and he's coaching the biggest games of his life now, too, uh, as, we, as we hopefully go into a deep playoff run here. Uh, it, it is in this playoff for coming up here in, in 2023. I got to tell you, Joe, I loved having you on the show. I feel like I got smarter today. Honestly, I really enjoyed <laughs> it. Um, yeah. As I said, you know, sometimes we see things differently, but in the end, I think we want the same thing. Success for the Memphis Grizzlies. Of course. And um, I really appreciate you being on the show. Please uh, plug your socials and all you have going on. Sure. I'm at Joe Molinax. I am doing a Substack uh, called written in the dark which uh, covers the Memphis Grizzlies every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, uh, subscription sort of stuff. I write for SB Nation NBA. I write for Fan Sided. Uh, obviously, I have Locked on Grizzlies, which is the main thing that I focus on Grizzlies-wise with my co-host, Michael Cole, of the Commercial Appeal there in Memphis, the beat writer for the Grizzlies. Michael and I have a blast doing that show. We're on YouTube, anywhere you can get podcasts. Um, highly recommended. And, and, you know, I appreciate you having me on. And I appreciate all the work. You know, I listen to the core four. You guys do a great job. I love the dynamic you have with co-hosts. And I'm just really happy. Again, compliments to Parker. You know, GBB has gotten better since I left. And that was the whole point. I had hoped and and my goal was that would occur. And, and it has happened that way. And, and you guys are one of the reasons for that. So thank you for having me on. Continued success and keep up the good work. All right. Thank you so much. I really, again, thank you for being here with us. And uh, we'll do it again soon. Stolen by Nail, Poppin, this baby is over.